She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I would ask these, these young people, respond when I throw out words like this, God, church, Christianity, scripture, the Bible, Jesus. One of the things that I was struck with was the need of Christians to be able to point out what makes our gospel unique. What makes Christianity different? Is it just one belief system among many, or are there some things to which we can, we can point that show that Christianity is really set apart? And now, Stacy Washington. Welcome to the program. It's Stacy Washington here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk, and it's my pleasure to be with you today. We have such a fantastic program for you. We are going to be discussing Christian worldview with an expert. We have Dr. Alex McFarland. He's actually in the studio. We're connecting up from across the globe and broadcasting from the heartland to you. And it's going to be so exciting to talk about that. And then we're also going to unpack this crazy McFarland. Um, oh, I'm sorry. We'll have to unpack this crazy Kavanaugh hearing and everything that's going on with the delays and what's possibly going to happen next. And so right now I'd like to welcome our guest, Dr. Alex McFarland. He is an author of many, many books, speaker, writer, advocate for Christian apologetics. He's spoken to hundreds of locations throughout the U.S. and abroad, preached to over 1,500 churches throughout North America and internationally. Thank you so much for joining us, Alex. Oh, Stacy, thank you so much. I, listen, I have such a respect for you and such an appreciation for all of the things you do. And uh, to be on is really an honor. Well, thank you. It's it's an honor for me to speak to you because I consider it to be of the utmost importance for us, not just as Christians, but as, as thinkers and people who want to be informed, to come to any discussion with a certain knowledge base and you are, in my opinion, one of the foremost experts on not just Christian apologetics, but really Christian worldview. And, and Christian worldview has come to be almost like a little uh, calling card that you just throw down, but it has very little meaning for a lot of Americans because they're kind of maybe frightened by it, that it pushes them off. And so then they're unwilling to really delve into, is it possible for me to have a Christian worldview or is it just something that super Christians have and do? And I believe every American, especially those professing a faith, uh, the, the faith of Christianity, can not only have a Christian worldview, but can live it out and enjoy what it brings because it really is something that plugs us into being obedient to God and what he has for us. And walking in obedience means you're walking in blessing. So can we first just, what is Christian worldview for those who aren't sure what it is? Wow, a great, great setup, uh, Stacy. And thanks for talking about this because it, it really is very important. A, a Christian worldview um, is to see life through the lenses of God's Word. To, to see life as God does. And the way that we do that is through the Bible. And, you know, we talk about salvation, and we put our faith in Jesus, the Son of God. But as a Christian, we are all to continually be shaping our life in light of the Word of God. Uh, there was a Christian leader in the third century named Jerome, and he said, uh, you know, knowledge of the Scriptures is knowledge of Jesus Christ. So to, to have a biblical view of life, to, to approach Monday morning from God's perspective, 
You know, we've got to be feeding on God's Word. And I think part of the problem with our country right now, uh, think about this, Stacey, right now, as as you and I um, are doing this show, roughly 660,000 ordained ministers are in this country. There, there are 345,000 churches. There are around 100 to 130 million adults that claim to be a born-again believer, people 18 and over that, are, that say they're a born-again believer who have a relationship with Christ, and more than half a million ordained ministers walking around. And I've got to believe that if, you know, 100 million Christians and, uh, you know, almost 700,000 clergy if we really were living on Bible truth every day, I think the country would look a lot different. Oh, my goodness. Okay. All right. So I knew this was going to be fantastic, but let's, let's, let's get there. So you've just told us what it is. You've told us what worldview is. And you've also told us that many people who think they have it don't because those numbers you just gave are staggering. Um, we're 345,000 churches. That's more than one church for every man, woman, and child that lives in this country because there's only 320 million, roughly, there, you know, give or take, million yeah. Americans. So 320 million Americans, 345,000 churches. Um, well, that's not one for every single person, but you can see the ratio is, is really good. You, you're definitely going to have a church near you that you can attend regularly, and you're going to have a, a bevy of options. You, they're there's no dearth of opportunity to attend with the internet. You also yeah. have an opportunity as well. So let's first just get the, the first main hang up out of the way that I hear most often from people. If you have a Christian worldview, does that mean you can't have any fun? Oh my goodness. No, you know, it's, <laughs> it's so funny, Stacy, because we do camps every summer, uh, apologetics and worldview camps for teens. And I had a teenager say to me, he said, you know, Mr. McFarland, you know, I would like to be a Christian. I want to be a Christian, but, um, I'm, I'm afraid it would be boring. And I said, ha ha, uh, dear child, you know, being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus is a lot of things, but it is not dull. In fact, if you really, and Stacy, I know you know this, and I know this, but I mean, if you really link arms with Jesus, and you commit to live your life as God leads, um, you, you'd better buckle up, because it's going to be a wild, thrilling, exciting ride. I mean, Christianity, I, I'll say this, just my own little testimony a little bit, but I, I grew up in the Bible Belt, and you know, there's like a church on every corner, and mm-hmm. I... I joined the church, quote-unquote, at age 13, because I was in a Sunday school class full of boys, and we were told that we were supposed to fill out a card and join the church. So mm-hmm. I was a pretty obedient kid, and I did. But I didn't really know the Lord personally till I was 21. I was in college, and I was invited to a Bible study, heard about Jesus and how He died on the cross to pay for my sins. And Stacy, at that point in my life, I was very, very socially backward, very shy, very, very much an introvert. And see, in Jesus, you find yourself. I mean, you find who you are because of who God meant you to be. I never dreamed, I never dreamed that I would be a speaker and a writer. I never dreamed that I would see all 50 states. Um, I never dreamed that I would see... Um, every continent but Antarctica and um, uh, Australia, although I hope to go to both of those. But um, 
here's the thing. I, I don't I don't even know who I would be or if I would even still be alive had it not been for Jesus Christ. I never dreamed, and, and I'm saying this, I give God all the glory, but I never dreamed I would write 18 books and publish, I don't know, three, 400 articles. Um, I never dreamed that I would meet uh, presidential candidates and sitting presidents and, um, you know, people around the world that, um, you know, you can be a part of things that really change people's lives. I, I never dreamed I would marry a woman that would be a nurse and would go to the Sudan and um, minister to people dying of AIDS and in their final days of life would be leading them to Christ. And so all of that to say this, number one, I'm giving God the glory, but number two, for anybody, for, for anybody who thinks if you yield your life to the Lord, it's going to be boring, oh my goodness, um, you you know, let the Lord have the steering wheel of your life, you're, you're on for a ride that will be the greatest thrill, the greatest joy. And one day you'll look back and you'll say, to God be the glory, it was a life worth living. Okay, so that was a fantastic answer. And, and I, but I, I want to add just one little bit to it because I think I've, I've had people tell me this, oh, look at all the cool stuff you're doing. I could never do that. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a public speaker. I don't do the radio. I'm, I don't write articles. And, and so it can seem a little daunting. You know, if, if I've, I've been to your website, Alex, it's, it's, you know, you're, you're an impressive person and you give God the glory. But when people see what you've been able to accomplish in your life, working for God, working, really basically saying, Lord, here's my life. What can we do together? It's, it's a daunting prospect for someone who says, well, I'm just a mom or I'm just working at a regular job. What, what, what does that mean for me? And I, I want to encourage people that we're all called to the mission field and the mission field is wherever you are. If you're a stay-at-home mom, it's in your home. If you're uh, working at a nine to five or shift work or whatever work that you do, it's valuable. It's important. And it's also a glorious opportunity to have joy in the Lord. And it is fun. What you're describing applies to all situations. Any person can um, really find a satisfaction and meaning for what they do in their life through yes. living for Jesus. And, and so it's, it is fun. I want to talk a little bit about, is there's this uh, Barna Group does all the studies. Barna Group has a study out and, and their most recent update that Barna Research Group, Barna.org, that only 4% of Americans had a biblical worldview. And that's down from 9% in 1984 when they asked born-again believers the same questions. So we've already answered question one, what's a worldview? What's a biblical worldview? We talked about that. How does a biblical worldview get diluted? That's their third question that they ask survey respondents. And I was wondering what your answer to that is. If, if let's say, uh, you know, the same experience, I have a similar experience to you. I grew up in church. My parents always took me to church. I was always in groups and Bible studies and things. And so I grew up with a biblical worldview, if you will. I knew the Bible. I'd memorized a lot of it. I, you know, I, I knew it. But what happens to dilute that so that Americans will say firmly, I'm a Christian, but then when you ask them questions that have to do with their worldview, they clearly do not have a biblical worldview. Oh, great question. Great question. Um, and, you know, before we conclude, I, I, I hope to circle back to the 
um, issue about people who might say, well, you know, Alex and Stacy are doing this and this and this, but, you know, I'm just an ordinary person. So let's circle back to that at some point. But, but well, let let's me do say, it now. Let's do it now or we're still fresh. Then we'll segue into biblical worldview because we have a couple of segments together. It's going to be great. fantastic. You used a wonderful word, Stacy, the word satisfaction. Because, you know, we all, everybody wants things, you know, we, we want, um, I, I think emotionally, we could put it this way, acceptance, significance, security. You know, acceptance says, uh, do I fit in? Significance says, does my life matter? You know, and security, am I safe? And, and we, we may not be conscious of it, but these things are kind of driving us, acceptance, significance, security. And, you know, we, we know growing up, you know, we kind of, we want to fit in, we want to, you know, be part of the group. Nobody wants to be excluded. And, and I think of the millennials that I counsel, you know, I, I kind of have the pastor hat too, you know, and I counsel a lot of people. Um, some of the, the stuff that hurts so deeply is loneliness, and feeling like we're excluded, and and we, we just don't have, we've not found our place, and so sad. One of the one of the leading causes of death among people thirty and under is suicide, and and I've counseled with a lot of young people, Stacy, who have just this chronic loneliness, and so we try to fill these things, and we you know we want to hang with the right kids at school, and then we want to get in the right college, and we want to get the right job, and we want to wear the right clothes. And, you know, the fact is, in life, I don't care who you are, um, there's going to be times when you can't afford the, the right clothes, and there's going to be times when you don't get the job you hope for, and there's going to be times when your, you know, your significant other dumps you. You know, I mean, uh, so one of the great joys of Christianity that is for everybody, you, you might not go to the Sudan and dig wells for thirsty villages, Hey, that's okay. But you can have the peace and the satisfaction when God says every day, Hey, I got this. You know, Stacey, a verse I love is Psalm 94, verse 19. And this is why we say get in the Bible. Build a biblical worldview to just give you the peace and the joy and the comfort. Psalm 94 says, When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. And I would say this, yeah, I mean, it's fun to travel and preach and write books and all that stuff is great, but Stacy, I'm going to tell you, the greatest part of, of being a believer is that ever-present friend every day called Jesus. Fantastic. Okay, when we get back, we are going to ask Dr. Alex McFarlane how a biblical worldview gets diluted and then kind of unpack how we can get back on track being right there where God wants us to be and experiencing all the joy that he has for us. You stay right there. We'll be back in a second with more. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know, the very first day in Israel, when we're staying in Jerusalem, we go to the Mount of Olives. And it's there at the Mount of Olives we look out over the old city of Jerusalem. It's a spectacular sight. You've seen it in pictures before, but it's another thing to actually be there as we walk down from the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane and we pray there. It's going to be a wonderful time with brothers and sisters from around the country visiting 
the Holy Land, the land of Jesus. If you want information on this March 14th through the 22nd tour, just call us and we'll send you a brochure. Call 1-800-FAMILIES, F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, option 5, and leave us your name and your address and we'll mail you a brochure. Or if you want to simply go online at twholyland.com, everything's there, twholyland.com. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. Not long ago, a well-known man in our community died after a long illness. He was prominent and had done so much for others. I guess everybody assumed his affairs were in order and he had insurance and plenty of money. That was not the case. But a wealthy family in the community heard about the situation and stepped forward. Out of the generosity of their hearts, they paid for his medical bills and also the funeral. The family of the deceased were overcome with appreciation and gratitude, and understandably so. All of us at one point were spiritual paupers in God's debt. We had nothing we could give to satisfy God's just demands on our sins. That's why I love Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But we do see him who has been made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through suffering. This passage clearly teaches us that Christ came with the riches of heaven to solve our debt problem. In fact, when he cried out on the cross, it is finished, all of our accumulated sin debts were taken care of. Jesus Christ paid the price. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. You don't have to remain a spiritual pauper. You don't have to stay in debt to God because of the accumulation of your sin. Jesus Christ paid your bill. He set you free. All you need to do is to turn to Him and receive His free gift. More information about the ministry of Crawford Loritz can be found online at livingalegacy.org. Join Crawford tomorrow for another Legacy Moment. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the program here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. It's so good to be with you. And I'm excited about this discussion we're having. This is one of those podcasts for the ages, meaning after you listen to this broadcast, you can go to AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com slash Stacey. Get that podcast content and share it with a friend who might be wondering if they have a worldview or if they've even thought about if they have a biblical worldview, or maybe you can tell them that only 4% of Christians have a biblical worldview. And when they say, what are you talking about? Then you can email them or text them the link to the show so they can get it from an expert. And we're, we're speaking with Dr. Alex McFarland. He has the truth for a new generation conference coming up October 26th through 27th in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And that is something that I, I hope to attend when it comes all over the country. And so when he's near me, I plan to attend. And it's, it's really, it's revival. It's everything you're looking for. You want to plug in and kind of get recharged. And so I'm really excited about that. And, and you can find out more about the conferences, the books, all of the things that are awesome that are going on at alexmcfarland.com. Uh, so Alex, we were talking before the break about um, the satisfaction that you can get by just saying, look, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this a try. I'm going to plug in. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to read my word. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to get a biblical worldview. 
and I'm going to say, you know, Lord, your word says, try me. I'm going to try you. Here I am. What, what are we going to do? And I think there's a lot that there's no way for us to fully describe the wonder that is walking with Jesus. But we can talk about how the biblical worldview that you may have really become entrenched in as a child and a teenager, how that can get diluted as we walk through life and get older and, you know, start working and having a family. So how does that happen? What, what makes someone who really understands scripture and knows what God has for us kind of accept and then move into living a much more worldly worldview? Oh, great question. Well, you know, it is a daily uh, commitment. It is a daily commitment to pray uh, every day, talk to the Lord, and and then to read the Word, which is God talking to you. Um, and, you know, a good way to do that is, um, of course, read the Bible and, you know, kind of have a system. Stacy, early in my Christian life, I heard a preacher say, if you read three chapters a day and five on Sunday, you know, it'd take you about 20 minutes, three chapters a day, five on Sunday, you will read the Bible in a year. And, and I did that, and, you know, my goodness, it works. <laughs> you, you read three chapters a day, five on Sunday, you'll read the whole Bible in a year. And um, it, I will tell you, that put in my heart a real love for Scripture that continues to this day. And then, then there's like um, devotional things that are so cool. I've got this app on my phone, a free app, that gives me a Bible verse every day. Just a, a Bible verse pops up every day, and I found that app. And, of course, there's, you know, Open Windows and Our Daily Bread, and mm-hmm. there's some some classic ones. This is an oldie goldie, but there's um, Morning and Evening Devotions by a guy named Charles Spurgeon, um, S-P-U-R-G-E-O-N. Spurgeon has probably been dead 100 years, but um, it's just unreal how evergreen and and great these things are. Um, so really, you know, he's been dead a hundred years. Yeah, I see Spur- so much of his content. I I don't know why I thought he just died recently. Wow. Yeah, Charles, <laughs> Charles Spurgeon was a guy in England and was a giant. And you know what what's really cool is how the Word of God has the power to just. Um, it, it the good things in your life it makes better and better and better the struggles in your life it helps you overcome those things because because the Lord knows us and the Lord intimately knows the core of our heart and our mind and our soul and it's just so amazing how the scripture um, you know speaks the Holy Spirit of God who, wrote the Bible, the Holy Spirit gave the writers the words of Scripture, but then the Holy Spirit will, you know, guide our mind to what we read. Um, I love a verse that has really meant a lot to me is 1 John 2, 27, that uh, it says, the Spirit that abides in you remains and will teach you all things. I mean, think about that, that, you know, Almighty God says, hey, I'm willing to be your life coach. Um, And I shouldn't say that. He's the Lord, not a coach. But I mean, God says, look, I'll be your mentor, your teacher, your guide, if you'll follow me. And I mean, it would be great to have, you know, some famous, successful person coaching, mentoring our life. But God himself says that he'll do that. But it's got to be through the word. I want to say this. I, I've never seen a Christian that um, 
was able to keep a stable, steady walk and not, you know, be on the up and the down and the hot and the cold. I've never seen a healthy, balanced, solid Christian who didn't have a daily time in the Word, you know? So that's important to note. And I think, uh, so we get busy, right? The the world that we live in is very fast-paced. It's very technologically savvy. And people think, well, I'll I'll get to that. And one thing that I've heard over and over again from different pastors, Bible teachers, online, there's a, a mantra, which is you set an appointment and you keep that appointment every day with God. The way that you set an appointment to work out or to read, you know, to get through a certain number of books a year or uh, anything that you do on a, on a, that you're committed to on a regular basis, you set an appointment with yourself and it really helps to see it in the calendar, you know, devotions or time with God or, you know... I like to put sometimes seated in heavenly realms because the Bible says when we pray, we're seated in heavenly places with him. Amen. So, you know, that's that's a way to kind of say, hey, I'm, I haven't been seated in heavenly places and I don't want my feet to hit the ground or I don't want to get in my car and, you know, hit the start button before I've actually been seated in heavenly places with my father. And when you say life coach, I, I know what you mean. We don't want to kind of downgrade who God is. But right. there's something amazing about saying to yourself, because you can, you can reach out to people, you can pay for life coaching, counseling, therapists, you can pay for a gym membership, you can, these are all good things, there's nothing wrong with them. But if we first say, you know, Lord, I'm, I actually do need coaching in this area, this is an area in which I am not wise, God will answer that. Sometimes it is another person who will mentor you and say, I've been through this and, you know, maybe it's in your marriage or in, in parenting and let me, let me walk with you and you'll, you'll regularly commune with that person and they'll pour into you that Christian advice, that Christian counsel. But sometimes you don't have to go outside of your scripture and some quiet time with the Lord. And I found on, on areas where I've looked around, I'm like, there's no one who can help me with this. And I, I feel like the Lord is like, hey, wait, I can help you. <laughs> all you have to do yeah. is ask me. And then when I say, you know what? God, please help me with this. All of a sudden, I, I begin to see the answers which are in front of me in God's word. And then he expounds upon that. The more I rely on him, the more he does fill those different roles. But I have to first say, I'd like the answer from you. I have to actually ask God to answer the question or to help me through the problem or whatever it might be. And so he is, he's, he's the greatest life coach, the greatest counselor, author and finisher of our faith. But we first have to say, I need, I need you. I, I can't walk a Christian walk alone. It's, it, and it's not meant to be a lonely prospect. It's meant to be a continuing growing relationship with our father in heaven, where he makes himself more real and more known to us as we commit ourselves to further and further our walk, which, as you said, three chapters a day, five on Sunday, if that sounds daunting, you just start off with maybe you start off with a couple of scriptures. And you mentioned apps that the, the technology actually can help. It can be a hindrance if you do too much, you know, social media. But if you say I need this appointment and you set that Bible app, you version does it. There are a ton of them. Um, you set that app to send you a scripture in the morning. As soon as you get that notification, you read that scripture, then that's a, a jumping off point to go deeper and maybe click on it, go through to the app and read the whole chapter. Now you're reading a chapter a day and it was seamless. It wasn't like you 
are, are thinking, oh, you know, drudgery, I have to get this chapter in. It just happens um, organically. So when, when you spoke in the very beginning and you were giving us those statistics, Alex, about 130 million adults in America professing Christians, and, but the way that our world looks, whether it's politics or um, our culture, our media, uh, the movies and films and television shows, all of it reflects a very, very depraved kind of sinful nature that is prevalent and accepted. Um, what what would you recommend to someone who they're listening to this show? They're thinking, okay, Doctor Alex, he sounds cool. He's right. You know, I'm a Christian, but I don't. I'm I'm pretty sure I don't have a Christian worldview. Now I know what it is. Um, how do how do you get back onto that? Maybe you're starting that first step, you make the appointment in the morning, you're reading your word. But how does that look practically when you talk about walking through life in, in, in American culture? We're very, very affluent in this culture. We have a lot of money. We have a lot of access. We have a lot of um, competing interests that are constantly bombarding you with the secular worldview. Oh, man, great question. And let me thank you, Stacey. This is such a blessing to spend a few moments just talking. Um, You know, number one, let me say, if somebody listening is a believer and, you know, life is good and things are going uh, pretty well, you know, praise God. Uh, The Bible says that God inhabits the praise of his people. And, you know, be thankful that you're alive. Be thankful that you know the Lord. Be thankful that you um, have an opportunity to grow, to make a difference to serve God and your family and the church and ultimately the country. Uh, And so, um, you know, I think a big part of the healthy, vibrant, fruitful Christian life is gratitude, because we're blessed. Oh, man. Um, Do you ever, Stacey, do you ever, like, look around and you just are overwhelmed and maybe even, like, speechless at how blessed we are? Yeah, it's usually when I back out of our, our garage I hit the button because it's our, my life is full of buttons. It used to be yeah. that people had to work really hard. Now we we just press buttons. And so I'll start pulling out of the driveway and I won't have released the parking brake. And my minivan will say, almost with an attitude, the computer voice says, please release the parking brake. And I'm like, ooh, I forgot to release the parking brake. And so I'll release it and then I'll start laughing because the van is talking to me. <laughs> then yes. I'll think, God... Thank you so much for these conveniences. My minivan has an attitude. And, you know, so you feel like, Lord, am I really living this life where my van tells me that I haven't released the parking brake? Or, you know, the, the clothes dryer, it makes a little musical chime. And it goes on for like almost 60 seconds when the clothes are dry. It chimes. And then it keeps turning them for like four hours. If I don't go in there right away and take them out, it'll keep fluffing them so that they don't get wrinkled. I mean, it, it's, it's that. We, we take it for granted. And um, there's actually, they did a study. The Heritage Foundation found that even Americans at the lowest socioeconomic strata actually live at about the same level as middle-class people in European nations because they have so much less square footage. They don't automatically have a dishwasher. They don't automatically have a washer and a dryer. Um, The things that we take for granted here, air conditioning, um, more than one car, 1,500 square feet with more than one bathroom, all of that is so standard for us. And they, they, when I say they did a study, they literally compared income to income, and then they looked at what each 
income level had in the way of standard, just this is what you have. And most Europeans don't live as well as what we would consider to be working class Americans here. So it, I do think we, we're used to it. And that's, that's fantastic. I, I wouldn't have it any other way except that we would be more grateful. When you talk about the, the Lord inhabiting our, our praise, I've, I've actually made a concerted effort to do that. When I get down about a problem, I stop and I go to YouTube and pull up a praise and worship song, or if I'm in my car, I just switch on my, my iPod and I try to take my mind off of it by singing praises. And it's amazing how your spirit lifts up. You feel lighter than a feather and you realize God's got this under control and you can let it go. Even if it's just for a little while, because you have to address it. It's yeah, so true. Yeah. Well, and, and you know what, I, I don't want to get us too much off topic, but gratitude is such an important part of of life. It, I mean, gratitude is is an important part of just a healthy psychological makeup, just to be emotionally healthy, and um, certainly a big incentive to grow as a Christian. And, you know, Stacy, as my wife and I begin to travel, and you, you go outside of America, you'll be grateful <laughs> really quickly. <laughs> um, today, I mean, think about this. Today, a billion people in the world, uh, one out of seven people in the world today, do not have a place to go to the bathroom indoors. And 2.4 billion people today um, do not have a place to bathe and have basic sanitation. And about 800 million people today uh, do not have clean water to drink, nearly a billion people. So you're, you're right. I mean, it's amazing to have a car that talks to you and appliances that ding and clean underwear to put on. But, I mean, just think, if you want to be grateful, today when you turn a faucet on and maybe you can wash your hands before you eat, yeah, thank God you have a meal to eat. Thank God you have water to wash your hands. Nearly a billion people don't have the ability to turn a faucet on and get clean water. And and the reason I'm saying that is we're so blessed. Oh, my goodness, we're so, so blessed. We really are. Does life have its challenges? Of course. Yeah, um, could, could things be better in a lot of areas? Of course. But all in all, we're blessed. And let me say... Um, what gave the West and America our technological advantages, prosperity, it was a Christian worldview. We can talk about that, but it's documented. It was Christianity that gave the world clean water, literacy, and mm-hmm. prosperity. And hospitals, and education, yes. and higher education. I mean, we could go on and on and on because God's blessings never stop. Um, I, we're going to be back right after these messages. And we're going to continue our discussion. We'll close out this hour with Dr. Alex McFarland. Uh, So exciting. This is such a great discussion. AlexMcFarland.com. We'll be right back. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. Are you a worrier? Is fear a constant companion? Well, there's a solution for that. It's prayer and scripture memorization. It has become vogue to cattily mock people who pray. The mockers have no understanding of God. Just a few of God's attributes describe him as our high tower, refuge, holy, alpha and omega, hope of glory, day star, and bright hope. These descriptors are a comfort to the believer. God is right here and operating on our behalf. 
Philippians 4, 6-7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Fear has no place in the life of a believer, but as humans, we will experience fear. Psalm 19 tells us that memorizing scripture makes us wise while refreshing the soul. I'm Stacy Washington. Find out more at StacyOnTheRight.com. Here's Steve Tiber. Eight Days of Hope started after Hurricane Katrina, helping people in Bay St. Louis, Waveland, Mississippi, rebuild their homes back in 2005. Since then, this faith-based ministry has gone nationwide, and we've helped out dozens of cities, dozens of areas of the country after hurricanes, tornadoes, flooding, or even snowstorms. And now you get a chance to be a difference maker. Eight Days of Hope 16. You can be the hands and feet of Jesus down in Houston from October 13th to October 20th. You can come for as little as three days or stay all eight days. We provide the food and lodging. We're looking for skilled professional and people like me who are less skilled and just want to give back. For more information, go to our website, 8daysofhope.com. Click on the event, 8 Days of Hope 16. Read the FAQs and learn more about how you can make a difference with 8 Days of Hope. Learn more and sign up to be a part of 8 Days of Hope 16 in Houston, Texas at 8daysofhope.com. That's 8daysofhope.com. This is Fox on Justice. If it feels like we've been here before, it's because we have. 1991, the Senate Judiciary Committee chaired by Senator Joe Biden. Do you swear to tell the truth? In the final stages of the confirmation process for Supreme Court Justice nominee Clarence Thomas, a bombshell, a respected professor, Anita Hill, comes forward with allegations of sexual misconduct by Judge Thomas. He spoke about acts that he had seen in pornographic films. Under oath, Thomas denies. I cannot imagine anything that I said or did to Anita Hill that could have been mistaken for sexual harassment. And then accuses political enemies of orchestrating the attack on his reputation. This is high-tech lynching. The country watched riveted, but in the end, Thomas was confirmed and has been a solid conservative vote on the Supreme Court ever since. We may soon experience a sequel of sorts, this time starring Judge Brett Kavanaugh. With Fox on Justice, Hank Weinblum, Fox News. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Okay, we're back, and I'm so pumped about our discussion today. It's it's this is the good stuff. This is the fun part of doing radio when you can have someone who give us so much time today, as Dr. Alex McFarlane is doing. I want to remind you of his Truth for a New Generation conference coming up October 26th through 27th in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. AlexMcFarland.com is the website, and we've been talking about Christian worldview. We've we've kind of moved around a bunch of different topics, but they're all linked together because if you have a Christian worldview, Sunday is not God's day. It is, but it's not the day that you you know you're a Christian on Sunday. Christian worldview means you're a Christian all the time. It is your identity. You're a child of the King, bond servant to Jesus Christ. You're an heir with Him. And you understand what he did on the cross is for you and for every person you've ever seen and will see. And that if you walk hand in hand with Jesus, your worldview will not only be Christian, but your life will be full of joy, even in the low points, because uh, it, that's, that's the nature of a relationship with Jesus Christ. So Dr. Alex McFarland, you've been quoting some scripture. I wanted to give you one of my favorite ones for myself. Amen which is, I wait quietly before God. My victory comes from him. He alone is my rock 
and my salvation, my fortress where I will never be shaken. So many enemies against one man, all of them trying to kill me. To them, I'm just a broken down wall or a tottering fence. And that comes from Psalm, um, I believe it's Psalm 62, where you have David. Yes, Psalm 62. David is really, he's talking himself through a problem. (laughs) He's praying and he gets into a little bit of complaining. You know, (laughs) this, this is how they see me, Lord. But then he says, they praise me to my face, but curse me in their hearts. Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. Oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. Mm. Beautiful. Beautiful. It's so good. It's so good. It's, you can feast on that for days and days and days. And so we've been talking about the Christian worldview and just... We've been unpacking all of it. So I guess the big question for those who are listening, for me, for you, the reason why we would either have a biblical worldview or maybe not is why does a biblical worldview matter? Why is it important that I have a biblical worldview instead of having maybe an American worldview or... Uh, a feminist worldview or, or you know, a, a um, racially significant social justice worldview. Why does the biblical worldview mean so much to me as a Christian? Oh, great, great question. Well, you know, it matters because we all—it um, is in our best interest to live according to truth. You know, nobody wants to really, really be living their life based on things that are false, or, or misleading or, or lies. And so uh, God's Word is truth. And God's, um, for one thing, the plan of salvation, but also God's principles for living, I mean, this is reality, the, the path to life and blessing and prosperity. And, you know, we have to humble ourselves and admit that we don't have all the answers. God, the creator of the universe and the sustainer of life and the savior of the world, God has the answers. So, so it's, it's really important because none of us really want to build our life on that which is false, but yet millions of people do. Um, Stacy, let me just say this uh, also. Um, let me say a word. If anyone out there is in leadership and you're a pastor, um, people are really hungry for this. Um, you know, the, earlier in the show we were talking about if we've got all these clergy and all these churches and all these professed Christians, you know, why, why does the world maybe not have a, you know, a biblically grounded approach to life, and even Christians? And one of the reasons I was on a call with George Barna, you mentioned uh, the Barna Research Group, a very respected, you know, trend watchers and sociologists and that kind of thing. All right, 74% of church members said they want their pastor to preach on things from the Bible that touch on current events, moral, cultural, social Mm -hmm. issues. 74% are saying, hey, pastor, how does the Bible speak to the issues today? But yet only 12% of pastors do. And the majority of pastors that even, you know, are kind of up to speed on these things. Because, you know, we've got, you know, everything from marriage and morality and uh, abortion 
and gender and immigration and the economy and national security. I mean, the Bible has things to say on all of this. And, uh, you know, everything from raising my kids to strengthening my marriage to having, you know, how do I have peace inside? So I don't need, I don't need substances to face Monday morning. I can have peace and joy even in the storms. Well, only 12% of pastors actually consciously try to tie the scriptures to current events. And yet, and one of the reasons, and I I do a lot of surveys myself, pastors say, well, if if I kind of talk about the news or law and politics and culture, you know, somebody might get angry. False. Three out of four of your members are saying, please tell me, bring me up to speed. So I think we have a real opportunity here to help the church rediscover the power and the relevancy of Scripture. Oh, yeah. So the difference between a pastor, Alex, that does this and a pastor that doesn't really can mean the continued attendance of the, the churchgoer. I, I honestly, yeah, for real. Um, if, if a pastor routinely brings in not, and I don't, I don't mean from the political uh, standpoint. So I hope but that people who are listening aren't thinking, well, then I have to go to a church that's either this political party or that. No, no, right. this is an application of scripture to what happens in our everyday lives. And sometimes, you know, there's so much news. The pastor's not going to do news and information every Sunday. But for those major life events or for issues that are bubbling up and are, are major news, those all dovetail into Scripture. Scripture doesn't just, well, it's just about Christianity. Our, our Bibles are our manual for walking through this life. So it covers every situation, every eventuality, anything that we could possibly face on this earth is covered in God's Word. That's why it's so big. That's why it's so comprehensive. So when we talk about a pastor bringing in issues of the day, our pastor does that, where he'll talk about, let's say, um, biblical marriage. Um, and he's not talking about it from the perspective of, you know, th- this is, these, these people are demonic and they need to be cast into the fire. It's, it's much more, we have sin in our world and the sin in biblical marriage is manifesting itself in adultery, divorce, um, the, the continued push to redefine what marriage is. And here's what God's word says. Yeah. And when you hear that, it's, it's life to your bones it's energizing because you either you either believe what God's word says or you do not. And then at that yeah. point in the in in the sermon and in your life and your day, you have to decide, would I like to agree with God's word and God's scripture and would I like to submit myself to that? Or do I want to have my own view? Do I want to have my own ideas? And so it, I encourage people to find a church like that, find a church where it's not about the pastor only talking about politics or culture or anything like that. It's much more, he's keeping you rooted and grounded in God's word by informing you, look, the world is saying that this is okay. God's word says this. And it's a personal decision for us to obey God's word or to stand, you know, kind of with our little fist in the air. But the knowledge that we have to have is that at the end of our lives, we're going to meet our father face to face. And we're not going to have our fists in the air at that point. We're not going to be arguing with God about whether or not traditional marriage was a thing or a biblical worldview was a thing. 
there will be no arguing or insolence at that point. And so, you know, you want that meeting to go a certain way, right? (laughs) When we meet Jesus face to face, we don't want to be in a position of, well, I'm still trying to figure out X, but you know, we want to be able to, to show up and say, look, I, 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 I gave myself to you as much as I could. I obeyed. I did what I could so that we can hear those words that we all want to hear, you know, welcome my good and faithful servant. And a biblical worldview is integral to that. I don't think we can hear that from God if we don't have a biblical worldview. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, earlier in the program, you used the uh, phrase social justice. Um, Let me say one of the things that's a real concern for our culture is not only believers that don't have a fully orbed biblical worldview, but we're we're in a culture that is is drifting rapidly away from the belief in any sort of moral boundaries. It's like everybody makes their own, you know, mm-hmm. I've got my truth, you've got your truth. And um what's interesting is the country was founded on belief in morals. Now, if you go to Washington, you'll see um pictures of Moses holding the Ten Commandments, you know, all over Washington, and even in the roof line of the U.S. Supreme Court building, Mm -hmm. there's a a carving of Moses holding the Ten Commandments. Now, somebody who's kind of secular might say, well, yeah, but that's Christian, and don't, you know, force your Christianity on me. But the Founding Fathers and great thinkers throughout history and you know, people even now, some of the great philosophers of the world that are not Christians necessarily, but they recognize what's called natural law, that we all know right from wrong. We all know lying is wrong, stealing is wrong, rape, murder, slander, treason, incest, you know, these things are wrong. All right, our country was based on natural law or belief in there is a moral law. I'm not talking about the Bible and church. I'm just talking about deep in our soul, everybody knows right from wrong. We don't always do what's right, but deep in our heart, we know what's right. Well, the term social justice, a lot of people don't know where that term originated, but it originated from a guy named Alexander Hamilton, who wrote a thing called the Federalist Papers. And this was in 1787 to 1788. Um, uh, John Jay of the Supreme Court and Alexander Hamilton wrote a series of about 85 essays to try to convince the American people that we should ratify the Constitution. Hey, we got this Constitution that's really great. It's going to be a great country. Please support the Constitution. So the Federalist Papers were kind of a a promo tour for this Constitution that had been written, which, by the way, is the longest standing constitution of any nation in world history. So they were right. But here's my point. Alexander Hamilton said the only way you can have a socially just culture is if everybody agrees to live morally. So here's the irony. The very same people that are saying you know, we can redefine marriage, we can abort babies, you know, don't be telling me how I have to live or can't live. The very same people that are anti-moral truth are crying out for social justice. 
But the man who, as far as I can tell, and I've researched this for the last several years, the, the term social justice, according to Alexander Hamilton, could only be experienced in a culture that was willing to acknowledge there are morals and we have to live within them. So, so do, do you is, see how I do? Do you see how things are turned upside down right now? They we we are. can never have social justice in a in a culture that is working twenty four seven to abolish morality. Not only that, but I, I I think it's interesting that what what's happening is people are saying I want to be immoral. I want to live for basically the gratification of myself. Then when they see the results of that, they say, I need other people to adjust themselves so that I can continue to live this way. <laughs> I need yeah, other yeah, people exactly, to pay, exactly. you know, give money, change their behavior. I need other people not to judge me. I need other people not to, you know, I, I don't want to know that you're judging me. If you're judging me, you have to keep that to yourself because your judgment is making me uncomfortable in what I'm doing. When it's supposed to be the reverse you consider the judgment of others and think, what am I doing wrong? And then adjust yourself. And this is a simple concept, but it's been completely shrouded in a lot of really weird terms, social justice being one of them. And then the it, it's basically a cocoon that people are building around themselves and saying, you change, you change, you change, culture change, laws change, everything needs to change but me. When a true American ethos says... What am I doing to improve myself, to take care of myself, to take care of those in my household so that others don't have to take care of me monetarily? Uh, they don't have to take care of my trash, my, my uh, you know, all of the different things that we create, whether they're good or they're bad, to care for ourselves and to do that because honestly, the, the American ideal is fantastic, but if we really see it ultimately as an American thing, then that's where it begins to fray and fall apart. If we see it as a nation gifted to us by God and we're answering to him, then we're going to be much more likely to live correctly because that higher authority is much more powerful even than the most powerful nation on earth, which is America. Dr. Alex McFarlane, it has been a pleasure to talk to you today. I hope that we can do this again, alexmcfarlane.com. Um, Thank you, sir. Thank you for your time today. Well, thank you. I hope to see everybody at our next Truth For New Generation event. Yes, absolutely. Go to alexmcfarland.com to find out about that. We'll be back with more right after this. Stay there. <laughs> 